That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, JDK Winnekin. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to this episode, another episode of This Show is All About You. So happy to have you with me for the next hour as we uh, talk about the things that we all have in common, even if at the very front end it may not always seem that way. We actually have a lot more in common, I think, than we often assume. And this show is dedicated to exploring all the different ways in which that can be true, uh, primarily by taking a look at stories, some of which might be familiar, some of which might not be. But uh, ones that, in the end, illustrate all of that. And it's one of the things I love to bring to you every week. So thank you so much. If you are joining this show live on 880 Kixie in Seattle, hey, how are you doing? If you're listening to this on a Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. on KKNW in Seattle, hey, welcome. I'm brand new to this time slot. I hope you're enjoying the show. And uh, if you are listening to this as a podcast, remember, uh, you can get this wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to it as a podcast, thank you so much for subscribing and leaving me a review. I really appreciate it. If you do not know who I am and would like to know more, you can find out more about me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you'll find me pretty quickly. Would love to hear from you, connect with you, and just see how things go. So thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Special thanks at the outset of this program. I always like to give it to the show's longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, which is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area, but is continually expanding, uh, that is dedicated to helping underserved youth connect with careers in aerospace, of which there are literally hundreds. Uh, the way that Airway Science for Kids does it, though, is more than just finding the right job for the right person. It's also about helping students from all backgrounds connect better with themselves, learn self-advocacy, and better grow within their families and communities to help all of us, both in the now and in the future. If you'd like to know about the amazing work that Airway Science for Kids does, check out their website, airside.org, A-I-R-S-E-I.org, and you'll hear more about them during the commercial breaks. So, all right. Well, I've got um, I've got a really fun story, I think, for you today. It's a little different. Last few weeks, I've been doing history-based stories. This one is a contemporary story uh, that has kind of its own history in some ways, but um, I'm excited to tell it to you. But before we get to that story, which is the centerpiece of each episode every week, let's do a quick recap of what I found to be the most important items in the, in the past week's news in a segment I call, What in the World is Going On? And overnight, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in Berlin, meeting with German leaders discussing future military aid. Just before his arrival, the German government having already announced a $3 billion aid package. It comes amid a U.S. official confirming a U.S.-made Patriot air defense battery shot down one of Russia's most advanced hypersonic missiles more than a week ago. The official saying the Patriot missile system itself was the target of the high-tech Russian missile. 
A lot of stuff going on in Ukraine. Of course, we could probably say that every single week, but there are more signs that that long-promised, long-anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive is steadily growing closer. Uh, again, one of those things I commented on a couple of weeks ago, rather strange that anybody would be announcing when it's happening. You don't normally telegraph when you're about to start an invasion or a, an offensive, uh, mind you. Uh, but in some ways, it does seem like it is getting closer and closer. And some of the things that are key to that, of course, is Zelensky, you heard, was in Berlin, uh, but he also visited with the Pope in Rome. And as of uh, at least of this recording, has also been to London. That sure sounds like um, political maneuvering to make sure all allies are on the same page prior to a major operation. That might be speculation on my part, but that does happen quite a bit in scenarios like this, at least looking back in history. And what is significant in that clip that you just heard is the fact that the Germans are presenting a $3 billion military aid package to Ukraine. That is a sizable investment for Germany. That's a sizable investment for any country giving that over. But for Germany in particular that has been reluctant to give over aid packages militarily without the United States, Britain, and other NATO allies doing the same is an indicator that Germany must seem very confident in what they see um, in terms of the position vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine and Russia. So it does seem to indicate that more support is, is forthcoming for Ukraine, which is probably giving Zelensky and his advisors around him more confidence that they can move forward into this counteroffensive whenever it begins with the confidence that that support is going to be continuing long term because no one has any illusions that this counteroffensive is going to be anything but costly on all sides. And that is sad, but certainly you are seeing more and more now that more powers around the world more heavily invested in what happens in Ukraine. Long ago, this ceased to be a war just about Russia and Ukraine and is about something much bigger than that now. All right, and then something, uh, speaking of the U.S. military, something happening close to home, which I think is actually a really good development. Uh, the morning of Thursday, 11 May, we'll be transitioning, redesignating Fort Benning uh, to Fort Moore, named in honor of Lieutenant General Hal and Julie Moore. See, lots of work being done behind me. This is just representing one of the uh, one of the small pieces that we're doing as you see the transition. And I've spent 16 years of my military career here. This installation alone, regardless of the name, has made me and molded me into the person, the human being, and the man and the leader I am today. And I couldn't be more proud to be a part of this iconic change. Finally, after a couple years of talking about it, the, uh, the Pentagon is moving forward with changing the names of a number of different military bases, a couple dozen in all at last count, that are named, have been named for a number of years after generals who fought in the Civil War on the side of the Confederacy. In particular, Fort Hood in Texas, Fort Benning in Georgia, and Fort Bragg in North Carolina, all three named after uh, very famous Confederate generals who fought to uphold, protect slavery, and to split the United States into two in the 19th century, all of those are being renamed. Uh, Fort Bragg, which is a major training point for U.S. Special Forces, is going to be renamed Fort Liberty. And as you heard in that clip, Fort Benning in Georgia has been renamed to Fort Moore after Hal Moore, uh, a legendary uh, uh, officer who served in Vietnam. If, you've, if any of you have seen the movie we, uh, we Were Soldiers, that's the story of Hal Moore serving in Vietnam. That's place is being named after him. And Fort Hood, Texas, which is the third largest military base in the United States, is being renamed Fort Cazavos, named after the first Hispanic American to become a four-star general in American history, himself with a very distinguished service career in Korea and Vietnam. 
And this conversation began a couple years ago when you might remember there was a lot of controversy over the removal of Confederate statues from a number of different places in the American South. And there were some people who criticized that as changing history. Other people lauded it as a, a chance to really undo, or really make right some wrongs of commemorating people who were for slavery and for division in the first place. And that, like so many things, flared up for a while. And then as other things came up, kind of got pushed off to the side. I anticipate those things are going to come back a little bit. But as far as my own position goes, I welcome this. I think this is actually a very good thing because this isn't changing history. And for those of you that are new to the show, I like to think that I might know what I'm talking about. I have a PhD in history and I'm really interested in historical memory, how the past is remembered. Whatever you might think of these um, commemorative statues of people in the Confederacy, to take them down and to rename places that were named after Confederate generals is not changing history. It's changing commemoration. Those are two different things. No, the history of the Civil War does not change because Bragg, Benning, and Hood's names have been taken off those, the names of those bases. Their role in that is still just as established, still just as discussed as it would have been otherwise. Uh, nor does it uh, elevate necessarily any, beyond the reputation they already have, people like Moore and, and Cazavos. They might, more people will know them. But this is about commemoration. What we commemorate says a lot, because commemoration is about championing a certain version or a certain slice of history over another. And it doesn't make any sense for the United States to have bases named after Confederate generals <laughs> whose entire exist reason for becoming famous was because they fought against the United States. That doesn't make any sense. The very fact that they were commemorated as such has its own story. And that's more than the scope of what I can cover today. But all this means is, is that as time has gone by, collectively, the country is choosing to elevate others for commemoration who at this point in time see them as more worthy of said commemoration than a bunch of Confederate generals. And in the case of Moore and in the case of Cazavos, they are much more worthy of commemoration, it occurs to me, particularly since this country still has work to do on recognizing the role, um, the memory of people who fought in Vietnam. We've got a lot of things named after people who fought in the Civil War, World War I, World War II, even Korea. But Vietnam has been a slower go. So I think this is a positive thing. And also because <laughs> I have no trouble seeing people who were famous for being in the Confederacy not being commemorated anymore. If you want their history to be remembered, take those statues, put them in a museum, and have them be discussed as a historical relic, because that that's what they are, much like the Confederacy. And honestly, I'm okay with that. Okay, so with that in mind, okay, <laughs> let's get into uh, this week's story. And I, as I said at the top of the show, um, I'm excited to tell this one. This one is more contemporary. And for the last few weeks, you may have noticed, and I talked a little bit about it at various points, uh, I've been talking more and more about stories and centering on stories that talk about potential, that focus on the potential of people, sometimes in history, when they encounter things that we all have in common. Common challenges, no matter who they are, when they lived, what their circumstances are, where they lived. But I liked discussing those, those kinds of stories because those are the things that we can connect to. And in several cases, 
I was actually talking about people that probably most of you have heard of. But I like not giving that part away <laughs> until the end, because then instead of focusing on who these people are historically, and they sometimes can feel larger than life, we can connect with them on a human level. And today's story is not around anybody necessarily that you may know or know well, or certainly know historically, but uh, it is one that I think will be um, certainly fun for me to tell, and hopefully you'll be able to connect to. So what do you need to do for this story besides sit here and listen? Well, first things first is I'd like you to get into your mind's eye, as we start here, your longest standing friend. Find the friend that goes back the furthest with you, maybe a friend you had from childhood. Or maybe if you don't have friends still around from childhood, maybe from college, high school, or later in life. I'm not necessarily saying the best friends you have, although certainly that could, that could be fine too. But the longest standing one, <laughs> no matter how well connected you are to that person today or not. And as soon as you have that person in mind, I think you'll be able to um, kind of hold the spirit of this conversation. I'd like to tell you the story of three friends. And they are friends who have been friends for going on 50 years now. And yet it's a very, very unique friendship. In many ways, uh, over time, they have become more brothers than friends. In fact, none of the three of them ever remember meeting each other. That's how far back they go. <laughs> they don't remember because they were so young two or three years old in both cases, all three of them together. And so as far as their consciousness goes, they've always been friends. Always. They don't remember a time where they didn't know each other as friends. And in a lot of ways, as I mentioned, they became more brothers than friends, which all the things you would expect siblings to have. Moments of real shared joy and growth and fun playing together. Uh, you know, running around outside, getting into mischief, sometimes getting into trouble, sometimes getting into scraps with one another, losing their temper, allying with one against the other, all those things that happen with kids as they learn how to navigate life. And they learn lessons, sometimes in really tough ways. <laughs> These three boys, Matt, Sean, and Jay, experienced all that together and ended up having a friendship that is going to look very similar to many others in some ways and in other ways are very unique and different. It's a, ser it's a series of stories that at least to them proves this idea of something bigger than ourselves that exists. These are three longtime friends, brothers, who look at all the evidence of their lives. Connected, and even in adulthood when there went, many years went by where there was disconnection. They look at all that and they see in that how important their childhood together turned out to be for them to become the men that they are now. And in some ways, that is remarkable. If you spend a lot of time reading up on uh, sociological studies uh, like I do and others, you know that one of the things that gets talked about a lot recently is men having close friendships, 
can be more difficult. Long-standing close friendships, one that isn't just about shared interests, going places together, but actually has emotional connection and depth and vulnerability and openness and sometimes rawness and an ability to explore things side by side. That has become, from a lot of different vantage points, increasingly elusive for men today, particularly in the United States, but all over the world. The story of Matt, Sean, and Jay illustrates the importance of those types of friendships and also illustrates the degree to which as we grow, as we are children, as we are conditioned by the world around us, as we explore it in, uh, in ways that we can be intentional about, but also in the ways that the world just hits us with things, as we do that, the importance of learning how to connect and working to stay connected can go a long way, as well as, their story shows, what can happen when disconnect comes. And I think you'll find it interesting, and I think you'll find a lot to relate to as we dive into this story. So when we come back from our first break here on this show is all about you. I'll tell you the story, the intertwined elements and the separate threads of the story of Matt, Sean, and Jay. We'll be right back. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to this show is all about you. This week's story about potential and growth and connection is a story of friendship between three boys, now men, uh, Matt, Sean, and Jay. And uh, they've been friends for 50, <laughs> as you could say, <laughs> friends for 50 years. And that is not all that common uh, these days. Obviously, in a world that we live in where people move around a lot more, people are connected through social media and a lot of other ways, um, sometimes those longstanding friendships uh, don't develop. And certainly uh, for three men to be friends for 50 years, uh, going on 50 years, uh, and only be maybe in, in their 50s, going into their 50s, is all the more remarkable. And it's something that I can say that all three men uh, value greatly and recognize um, how unique that is. So Without getting into too many specifics, uh, at least for right now, let me kind of tell you a little bit about these three guys. Um, Matt, Sean, and Jay all met roughly around the same time, somewhere between when they were two and three years old. And they met, as children do, through their parents. <laughs> their parents became friends first. Matt's parents, Matt's uh, father was a what was then called a steward, a flight attendant. Uh, for United Airlines, and his mother was a nurse. Sean's parents could say the exact same thing. <laughs> Sean's father was also steward for United Airlines, flight attendant, and his mother a nurse. Jay's parents were the ones that had a little bit different. Jay's mom was a teacher. 
Jay's dad was a clergyman. And all three families lived in different areas of the town that they lived in. Uh, but what they all had in common is they ended up going to the same church. Now, Sean and Jay met at preschool where Jay's mom ran the show. And uh, Jay's mom remembers very clearly uh, meeting Sean herself. And she said Sean's, Sean's way of, of getting to meet people uh, when he was that little, two or three years old, was he'd come up and bop them. <laughs> come up and like give him what was meant to be like a playful punch, right? Playful punch on the shoulder or something like that. But being a kid, didn't really understand that, didn't know the difference, and sometimes would pop kids in the head. And so uh, it could very well be, Jay's mom could not remember this specifically, could very well be that Jay's first uh, interaction with Sean was getting bopped in the head uh, by his soon-to-be friend. Uh, Jay does not remember that one way or the other. How could he at such a young age? But nevertheless, that's how they met. And they ended up going to, families ended up going to the same church. And that's where Matt's family came in as well. So their parents became friends. And as happens with uh, parents that have multiple kids and all three families had multiple children in them, the parents all shared the load. They shared that responsibility. And from a time, the earliest time that Matt, Sean, and Jay can remember, there was always exchanges going on <laughs> between three different households, kids coming over to one household one day, over to another household the other day, and so on and so on. As the boys got older, overnights were very, very common uh, at, you know, one-on-one -on -one at each other's houses, sometimes all three. And in those, Matt, Sean, and Jay did everything that you would expect kids to do, played with toys, fought over toys, ran around outside and got in adventures. And back then, not as much nearly today, back then, uh, parents, their parents gave them a little more of a free reign. Uh, all three of them remember being outside and exploring for a really long time and uh, kind of making up worlds as they went. And, you know, sometimes ending a play period and remembering what they were doing at that point so they could pick up with it the next time they got together. And this turned out to be really important to all three of them. And, and later in life, as they reflected, these three men reflected on their childhood friendship, they all recognized that they had several things in common with how important that was. All three, in some ways, very, very sensitive individuals, very smart individuals and observant, uh, and really, really wanting to find people with whom they could connect and feel safe with. They never had that language, of course, as kids. But there was a freedom that they all felt with one another that turned out to be really important to them in the long run because it gave all three of them a way as they got older to effectively measure their sense of emotional safety and connection with others because they had a great baseline to operate from. When Jay talks about it, Jay talks about how those two friendships helped him better understand as he was developing friendships later in life, how well he connected with people. Not necessarily that they would be lesser friends than Sean or Matt would be, but were they worth investing beyond a certain level in? Sean and Matt turned out to be able to say the same thing. Now, they lived in three separate areas of this town they were in, and I'm not telling you the name on purpose. I will give it to you eventually. 
they lived in three different areas of town. So as they moved into the school age, they ended up going to different schools, which made it all the more important that they had their connection through the church. But that was really only maybe one time a week because of how that worked. And so as they moved into school, their parents worked together to make sure that they had other things that they could connect on, particularly sports. At least trying to get two on the same soccer team or two, at least two on the same baseball team so that they could have those things. And all three of them, even though they made friends at their various schools, all three of them considered each other their closest friends all the way up into fourth and fifth grade. And there's a reason why there things would shift. But nevertheless, their parents made a concerted effort to keep these very connected boys. And they all noticed it. They've all said as much in later years. The parents have. To keep these connected boys connected. Because it was easy for them to be friends. They looked after one another. They enjoyed their time with one another. They backed each other up <laughs> in fights with other kids. That did happen. Not all the time, but sometimes. And then when they got a little older and were doing sports and stuff together, their parents put them all together into Cub Scouts. And Matt's dad was their Cub Scout leader. And they all loved that because that meant, in addition to school and sports, one other day a week, they would get together for pack meetings. And then it usually meant a few times a year, they were going on camping trips. They were going to the beach, going to the mountains, learning skills. They marched in parades at the holidays together. They got to do all of these different things. They got to do the soapbox derby races that are legendary in Cub Scout circles. They got to do those and craft them together. Jay remembers learning a lot of hands-on stuff from Matt's dad. And Matt remembers being really excited that Sean and Jay could be learning a lot of the same things he was learning. So they did all that together. And when they look back on it in later years, none of the three had any trouble admitting to each other and to anyone else that these were truly wonderful years, despite the challenges some of them each had at school with being teased for very differing reasons, but all very real. And they had that in common. And they didn't, they didn't tease each other most of the time. <laughs> being young boys, sometimes they did, and they dished it out and took it. And uh, many years later, when Jay and Matt reconnected for uh, the first time in quite a long time, it was really a shock to Jay to hear Matt point out, hey, yeah, you were teased a lot, but you could dish it out. You could dish it out real well. And it was a moment for Jay to kind of reflect and go, man, I always talked about how I felt bullied or he felt bullied as a kid. Maybe I was a bully. That's what Jay would say to himself. And it was an important moment for Jay. And there were moments like that later on in life as these boys had become men where they reconnected over their 
shared experiences and actually learned more. Because, of course, as they grew up, and they ended up going their separate ways in many, in many different facets. The story of their childhood, of course, had to be filled in by adult understanding of what was going on or what had gone on or the possibilities or the things that the others maybe didn't know about. All right, so this close, three-headed friendship, brotherhood, uh, changed inalterably when all three boys were roughly about 10 years old. And Jay's family moved and moved far away. Jay's dad took a new job and they left. Jay remembers it still to this day as a devastating time. Specifically because of leaving those two friends. That's how he still remembers it. For those other two, they reflected later in life on how hard it was to be the one staying behind. And how for a while, things simply did not feel the same and were not the same. And for three boys at 10 years old to go through something like that, to confront that type of grief, that type of loss, that type of change, was of course an important moment and a very challenging time for them. Jay continued to grow up where he was in California. And the other two, Sean and Matt, continued as they did where they were. And they ended up still going to different schools, still staying connected for a while through church. And then Matt's family ended up moving to another church. And they stayed connected. And they stayed close. And they went through the rest of Cub Scouts together. They went through Boy Scouts. Both Sean and Matt became Eagle Scouts under Matt's dad's tutelage and direction and guidance. Jay, for his part, did not continue down that path, did not continue with Cub Scouts, did not continue with baseball, instead continued with soccer. And they still talked when they could, but this was a while ago. And so it wasn't like today where you could connect on social media, send direct messages, jump on FaceTime or Zoom and see each other's faces and connect that way. This was back in the early 1980s. And so if you were going to call someone long distance, it cost money. And 10, 11, 12-year-old boys, no matter how much they miss each other, don't have that amount of money. And their parents aren't likely to want to spend that money too often. Jay missed his friends so much that as soon as the move had been completed, he began to save his money from his allowance and then doing some odd jobs to buy a plane ticket to fly back to visit them as soon as he could. And he did it less than two years later. Flew back unaccompanied, excited that he'd pulled that off. Flew back and promptly, despite being thrilled to see his friends, Matt and Sean, after just a couple of years, which was a big chunk of time for kids that age, like 20% of their life. The third day there, Jay developed chickenpox and gave it to Matt's and Sean's entire family. <laughs> and what was supposed to be a two-week visit 
became about a six-week visit because of illness and then Matt and Sean's parents saying the boys didn't even get a chance to see each other and spending time together. Let's, let's have Jay stay longer. So, so Jay did. Still a story that gets talked about among those three and among their families. Jay came back to California, and as the boys went into high school, occasional visits would happen. Uh, but it was a long distance between them, and so they, they did not happen as much as any of them would have liked at the time or since. And when they all graduated from high school in the early 1990s, they all had big decisions to make. Jay went off to college in Northern California. Matt traveled a long way from home to Oregon, rural Oregon, for one year to play football. He'd been a a football star in high school. And so he went to play football for a year. Ended up not liking that as much and then ended up moving back home and finishing there. Sean went the furthest, went all the way to the East Coast of the United States, uh, to New York, upstate New York, for college. And by then, all three had had separate experiences. They had certainly gone through middle school and high school separately, all three of them. They had had you know, young love relationships, romantic ones, had gone to proms, football games, had played their own sports or done their own activities. Experiences that were different from the shared experiences that they had as kids. But when they did connect, when they did talk, it was like they went right back to where they had left off. And if you have friendships like that, you know what I'm talking about. Those are special. Because there's a level of understanding, connection, and I dare say trust in the reality of those friendships and the strength of them, honed over time in whatever ways, that there's a confidence that when apart, you don't have to worry about one another. You just simply connect back in when you get the opportunity. And then the question becomes more of how often does one take that opportunity or make it happen? And that's a question that all sets of friends have to ask themselves. Because as we all find out, time is not unlimited. For these three, it felt that way when they were kids. And then some things began to happen that began to underscore that time itself was not unlimited. They can know, you can, we can all know that on an intellectual level, but to experience it on an emotional level, on a connected, almost spiritual level, is a whole different thing. And as Matt, Sean, and Jay went to college, got their careers moving, started building lives, they encountered, all in different ways, many of the great successes and the not-so-great failures and difficulties that we all face. And through it all, whether in regular contact or not, they drew strength from one another, even when they didn't know it. When we come back from the second break, finish up with that story for you, 
and uh, give you a few more thoughts on a few other things. We'll be right back. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. All right, welcome back to this show is all about you telling the story of uh, three lifelong friends, Matt, Sean, and Jay, uh, who despite being, they were very close as kids, lived in the same place, and by the time they had exited college and were building their own lives, were in three very different places uh, and had very different experiences. And I'm not going to get into all the details of what all three friends faced individually. Uh, mainly because there's not enough time for that. But also, uh, in some ways, those the details are the only things that differ them from anybody else's experience, your experience with the close friends that hopefully you've been keeping in mind and you've been thinking about, the lifelong friends you've had. <sighs> Just to give you a quick summary, all three ended up getting married at various times. Two of them went through divorce. Two of them ended up having kids. One did not. One went on to get a PhD. Two did not. Matt became a high school phys ed teacher and continues to be one and loves it in his hometown at the very same school that he went to and was a football star. Sean became a graphic designer. Sean had always had deep interest in science and was very creative and could draw just about anything. That's what Jay remembers the most with Sean's creativity. And Sean had a very has a very sharp mind. Matt had the biggest has the biggest laugh of all three of them. Jay is seemingly the busiest, <laughs> at least according to the other two. <laughs> of all of them, and has traveled all over the world as part of his growth. And interestingly, a lot of time went between sometimes seeing each other. Back in 2017, Jay went back to visit what he considers to be his hometown and to see his friend Matt for the first time in 25 plus years. I'd seen Matt several other times, but not a ton of times. The travel distance was great and certainly life had taken over. Responsibilities and, and endeavors and jobs and families, all that stuff 
that normally precludes those things had happened. So it was the first time Jay had gone back. Sean was not living there at the time. But when Jay was visiting with Matt, he caught up on where Sean was. And turns out, Sean and Jay lived very close to one another. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here in the story. So let's fast forward a bit. COVID comes. And you might remember, maybe you took part of these, that early in the COVID pandemic, a lot of people were connecting on Zoom, having happy hours on Zoom, having get-togethers, family reunions on Zoom, graduations on Zoom. Well, these three lifelong friends pulled together a Zoom call and jumped on the Zoom call, and it was the first time in almost 30 years that all three of them had set eyes on one another at the same time. And of course, they went down memory lane, as friends tend to do, reminisced on a few things, told a few stories that some of the others had forgotten or didn't remember at all. Matt tells a story of Sean and Jay getting so mad at each other one time at New Year's or Fourth of July that they were throwing fireworks at one another, which <laughs> Sean and Jay don't remember. Could very well have happened, but they don't remember that. Their parents, I, their parents would have killed them <laughs> if they'd done any of those things. So who knows where that came from? But those were the types of things that they talked about on the Zoom call, and they found out Sean and Jay did. But they actually lived really close together. And they made some plans to get together, fell through in part because of COVID, and then life took over. That's the way we often describe things like that, right? Life takes over. They just were not able to get together. And then, that's the reason why I'm telling the story this week, then last week, that changed. Last week, Matt became the first of these three friends to turn 50 years old. And it was a big deal. Jay will be next in September. Sean will follow in November. And there was some talk going on of, you know, what, we, what people might be able to do to commemorate Matt's big moment. And so Sean and Jay finally said, we live so close to get together. We haven't seen each other in so long. Let's get together. Let's get together, have a drink, toast far away Matt on his 50th birthday. Send him a photo. He'll be thrilled. So last week, Sean and Jay got together and sat across the table from one another for the first time in 33 years. And I was delighted to see my friend. Yes, I'm telling you a story about me. I am Jay. <laughs> Didn't really hide that one. <laughs> maybe you guessed it by now. I think I actually had a couple verbal slip-ups in this thing, which I tried to cover up. I maybe didn't do that so well. But hey, what can you do? It's live radio. First time I'd seen Sean in 33 years. And it was incredible. We only had so much time. We both had responsibilities to get to. But we did exactly what we wanted to do. Got together, 
had a couple drinks, commemorated, toasted our buddy, sent him a photo to which he responded, finally, from where he is in Hilo, Hawaii, our hometown. Sean and I are in the Puget Sound area, obviously. And most importantly, Sean and I experienced that immediate reconnect that lifelong friends often have. And we talked about as much as we could in a short period of time. And we laughed a lot. And yeah, we reminisced, but we also caught up. And as we caught up on each other's stories, we were able to connect with similarities in our life, similar challenges going on right now. What happens when you start looking at 50 and you're, you're looking back on 50 years and looking forward knowing you probably don't have as many to follow as are left behind? And what comes with that? Some fear, some anxiety, but a lot of gratitude. And he and I left that meeting elated, excited, going to meet again in a couple weeks. And Matt's going to be making his way out to the mainland sometime this summer. And we're all going to get together. I tell you this story in part because it was a huge moment for me last week. A lot of years have gone by, and I joked with Sean when I said to him, I said, look, if we have another 33, year ago, 33 years go by before we see each other again, we're going to be 83, if we're even there at all. Let's not do that again. And to me, at least, these are the friendships, the human connections I have that give me the most, they ground me the most, in my life, but they also remind me so often of what I need to be reminded of, and that is how fortunate I am to have the friends that I have, not just these two men now that I grew up with, right, in those formative years grew up with. All my friends. I have other friends that I met later in life who I have that you pick up where you left off element with. I have friends that are deeply close to me who I met when I was 10 years old, who I met when I was 17 years old, 23 years old, last 12 years, I moved back to Seattle. I am so lucky. And oftentimes, I can lose sight of that as I take a look at, as I tend to do sometimes, take a look at all the things that I don't have or the things I haven't done yet or I wish had gone differently. I can sometimes lose myself in my own head around those types of things. And as I sat with Sean last week and caught up and laughed and <laughs> so much more, this sense of okayness that can sometimes feel elusive washed over me. You know what? This is a reminder of abundance and the importance of connection over time and how there are elements about human connection that can transcend years, transcend experiences, transcend 
changes in everyone's lives, <laughs> in their beliefs, in their practices, in their careers. These are the things that matter most. It's easier to take a look at the things that I'm trying to do in life or the frustrations that I can have in life when I remember the importance and the value of those connections. The longest standing ones happened to be with Matt and Sean, but those became templates for me to be able to develop similarly strong ones throughout my life. So for me at least, the story of Matt and Sean and Jay, me being Jay, is not just about what they gave me at the time and still give me individually today. I got to grow with them in such a way that it helped open me up to have the possibility of building meaningful friendships with other people throughout my life. What greater gift can there be than that? There was a time in my life when looking back on my childhood, I could focus on a lot of the negatives. The teasing I went through, the sensitivity that I had, um, not always feeling strong like the other kids, that type of thing. But one of the blessings of almost being 50 is you can look back and have more of a, more of a filter of what really does matter and what really doesn't matter to hold on to anymore. And what I've been thinking about and what I've been realizing and experiencing the last week or so since Sean and I met up is what really matters is I got to spend so much of a wonderful childhood, those so, those so important years in a place in Hawaii where I could explore a lot with two friends I trusted with anything at any time. And I could even trust that we would get over our arguments and our scraps when we had them. Because that's what brothers do. That's what friends do. I got a wonderful model and a wonderful experience of that at a very young age that I know not everybody gets. And so in a lot of ways, the close friendships that I have now, and I'm so blessed to say I have a number of them, tie back to my ability and my openness and willingness and the experience of being such good friends with Matt and Sean from such an early age. Again, we don't remember not knowing each other. Literally, don't remember it. And so, no matter how many years go by, and we've, we've all made the commitment, we're not going to let <laughs> this kind of time go by again, to not take those things for granted anymore. But as time goes by, and we still hopefully continue to connect more regularly, my plan is to continue to share that gratitude with them, even if it's not verbally thanking them all the time, but by showing up and experiencing this friendship, this brotherhood with them, with all the joy that it had when we were children and all the gratitude that comes from growing through it into adulthood and seeing it be stronger than anything that life has been able to throw at any of the three of us. My hope is, is that you all have friendships like that. 
And hopefully, as you've been listening to this story, you've been able to go, you know, this lifelong friend I have maybe gave me something similar. Or maybe it's an opportunity to track down one of those longtime friends. Maybe you are connected, but you just haven't seen each other in a while. Go see him. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> Truly, the best thing ever. Because of what it gives that goes far beyond just the friendship itself. So that's the story for this week on this show is all about you. Hopefully, something about it resonated with you. I know I certainly enjoyed <laughs> telling it to you. Remember, you can get any of this episode, if you missed any part of it, this or any of the other episodes of this show, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes air every Monday. They're uploaded as podcasts every Monday. And hopefully, you'll connect with me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com, or with me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and we can continue that conversation. There are more changes coming ahead, more adjustments to how I'm doing the show. I'm excited to talk with you about them once they're all set up. But for now, I really appreciate you spending this last hour with me. Other thank yous also have to go to Hubbard Radio Seattle, which produces and distributes. This show is all about you. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Thank you, Eric. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Be sure to check them out at airsci.org. And the original theme music for this show is all about you is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce and Cindy Bullard, Teresa Baker, Ken and Margaret Winnikin, Mary Olson, Seth Mormon, Kathy Lewis, Phil McCoy, Ashley Niebel, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to Matt Masuyama and Sean Harita. Thank you guys for making my childhood amazing for all the crazy laughs and the incidences and as we grew, the increasingly remarkable moments and conversations where we all saw all saw how valuable our time together as kids was, how crucial it was in making us into quality men. And finally, to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And as a way to send you off into the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. More brothers than friends, we keep finding our way back to one another. Chins up, everyone.